0: Welcome back to Fantastic Voyage, a David Bowie podcast. I'm Jesse. I'm John. And today we've got a special guest with us uh, to talk outside. We've got Teenage Waitress, a uh, musician all the way from across the pond in, in Bowie land. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm obsessed with this album. So this is very much in my happy place. Just, you know, getting ready to talk about this album for three hours. Yep come
0: in yeah so <laughs> we so i asked you at the beginning i said should i call you teenage throughout the entire thing but but no his name's daniel so we're gonna we're gonna go by daniel <laughs> from now on uh but uh yeah teenage waitress is your uh i guess stage name or your your musician name so maybe tell us a little bit about your your music i johnny and i both listened to your album recently oh thank uh, your, you so much your latest and uh very very good uh i oh, was well,
2: thank you that's been yeah, kind salutations yeah that's my my favorite track oh thank you so much
1: i'm so glad you like it and it's really nice of you to listen yeah so like in fact the the, the teenage it was only supposed to be one album and the idea i had it was like um the concept was that like it was originally going to be called eavesdropper because i wanted the listener to be like eavesdropping on other people's days and like the the songs were going to be short stories from other people's perspective so it was going to be called eavesdropper but there was already an eavesdropper on spotify and i didn't want to share spotify turf so, I thought I'd just <laughs> get hyper specific and say, okay, so the listener's a teenage waitress, and all these songs are going to be the little stories that she hears, you know, between picking up plates, putting down plates. And it's just this little wrap around for all the songs. But um, yeah, I know it's onto my second album now, which wasn't supposed to happen, but yeah, it's having a lot of fun making it.
0: That's a great concept. Uh, oh, I think cool, that's thanks. cool. Yeah. That kind of fits probably, this album too.
2: Say it's probably <laughs> yeah. a little bit more cohesive of a concept than the one that we have here, right?
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. So it's we had yeah, in your music, we I heard a lot of Bowie uh in it. Um oh, cool. in, 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 in different places, kind of. I mean, not to the point where you're you know ripping him off like 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 he would <laughs> do properly. <laughs> but uh you could tell the the influences. So yeah, where's uh or what, how did it all start with Bowie for you? Like, were you always, was it always on in the house type thing? Like growing up in England, I imagine you had a lot, quite a bit of exposure. Yeah, well, see, my,
1: neither of my parents were really big Bowie fans. It all happened by accident. And it was kind of, so my parents, when I was five, I think, took me to, there's a waxworks museum in London called Madame Tussauds. I think there's a few around the world, isn't there? Yeah, um, We've been my parents, couple, yeah. yeah, my parents took me there and there was like this, it says mid 90s and there was this kind of rock circus display and there was your Beatles and your stones and and, but there was a bowie waxworks and obviously i was really young so i can't really remember much but there was a bowie sort of bleach blonde serious moonlight era bowie and they played space oddity over the sound system and the story goes that just from that moment on i just did not shut up about that song or that waxworks model for the for the rest of the day I just kept asking who was that person what was that song and like just yeah. going on to my parents about it and when we got home my dad had in the 90s you know the the compilation the the pink and uh, sort of pink and yellow best of two disc um
0: yeah yeah the singles dad, collection right
1: yeah singles collection yeah. my, my yeah. dad had that he wasn't a massive fan I, I you know I don't remember Bowie being played before that day but he had it on cd and he sort of gave it to me he was like it's the first song on this put some headphones on me and was like enjoy you got two cds there and like I just became obsessed like from there on in like nothing else in the world mattered to me for the next 10 years apart from David Bowie and um yeah it was just like trying to trying to get good school re- reports so my parents would buy me another cd or, or you know like going to the library and picking up cassettes and stuff like it just nothing else mattered you know I remember teachers saying what do you want to be when you're older and I'd be like David Bowie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and like getting on sorry sorry carry on
0: yeah, that's okay let's fill our quota already that was like i was asked so many times what do you want to be when you grow up and it was a beetle i still say that <laughs> and people say oh like do you like your job I'm Like, well i still want to be a beetle when i grow up but uh speaking so, yeah. of which uh i mean okay this is a bit of a i mean this is an evergreen show people will be listening to this years from now i i think anyway but uh big news a new Beatle album or a new Beatle track was released uh oh, my yes- <laughs> yesterday no, no it wasn't yesterday it was a couple days ago but... well, we always
2: talk about them they're like the biggest contemporary new band like they just knocked taylor swift off the charts you know like they're uh, yeah. they're all one of them
0: I, I hear i hear ringo's dating an nfl player now too he's, he's spotted at some games <laughs> um yeah let's let's not get into now and then but uh <laughs> Let's let's get into outside. Um, yeah, so released September 25th, 1995, peaked at number eight in the UK, number 21 in the US. That's rather high for the UK. I wouldn't have expected that this album to get all the way up to number eight um, nice. marketed marketed better than the the previous uh, Buddha of Suburbia.
2: Yeah, certainly not a commercial album. Even the '20s in the U.S. I mean, he was in a bit of a slump there, right? The last few albums weren't anywhere even close to that. So it's kind of a miracle that this one, right, that high.
1: And the single choices as well, like (laughs) yeah, some bonkers choices for singles there. Like I was when I was listening to it again just now, I was like, "There's some really obvious choices for singles here," like. Oxford Town, Oxford like. Town. Just,
0: right, you
2: see that come up in all the books. So like, I think this album would have done better had it led off with it. Because what was the the actual lead off single? Was it Hearts Filthy Lesson? Hearts Filthy Lesson, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which I guess I think, like kind of fit into like that Nine Inch Nails craze, right? That was probably happening at the time. It did kind of hmm. sound like that, I guess. But there's no denying that Oxford Town still way more commercial,
0: right? Yeah, for sure. It, I mean, it would have been weird though if you would have started an album out called Outside. With this, with the catchiest thing, I I think that would have been off-brand for him. I think I think he did, he was true to himself and true yeah. to working with Eno and everything else that they were doing. It almost would have been a cop out if we have been like, well, okay, you're gonna like this album, or or you you might not like the album, but at least here here's the low-hanging fruit, you know. <laughs> or maybe Hollow stuff.
2: Space Boy would have made sense just because it's like, yeah, catchy and abrasive and well, you
0: know, it's interesting too because they didn't release. Or he didn't release the um the 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 album version as a single. He did release the Pet Shop Boys version as a single. It was the third single, I think, and it and it's much more accessible.
1: And th- it's more. References- a- Sorry, carry
0: on. No, you go ahead. Yeah,
1: like I say there's there's Major Tom references as well, isn't there? In, in the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that story. makes sense. Yeah,
1: I think I don't know if you guys have heard the story, but I think it's like. They, they they said to bowie can we do the remix he said yeah so they were off in the studio and i think bowie got a phone call from them in the studio saying yeah we're thinking of putting major tom in the lyrics and bowie was like i think i better come and join you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: what's going on. Yeah. but it's it, yeah and it's quite uh it, it's kind of disco-y like it's danceable it, it's a mm. bit more well i mean space boy itself is, is kind of a, a it's a mover, kind of in the same yeah. respect of like Rebel Rebel, maybe. Um, but yeah, in, interesting choices in, in singles, to say the least. Uh, sh- should we get into the... Or no, okay, we actually should introduce the cast of characters because there's there's quite a bit. Um,
2: They're so really important too. Like, it's it's really crucial that the ones that are on this album are on this album, right? Like
0: So Eno's back. Um, yeah. That, that's the big one. And this was kind of their... They, it started with them, I think, emailing each other back and forth about the, the concept of what they were going to be building. I mean, I think we could talk about the concept, too, I suppose. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> are, are we going to get into that? <laughs> I, I don't think. I mean, yeah. So there's a story and it, it's about this, this this dystopia where art crimes or murder, body mutilation art is kind of on the on the rise. And you know, there's a detective, and there's suspects, and there's a uh, the artist or the you know who's the the mutilator. He's like a centaur or something or minotaur, or something like minotaur, that. Minotaur, yeah. And uh, aside from that, you know that that's kind of those are the bones, and the rest is very gray. I mean, there isn't much of a story, uh, that linear to to follow. Anyway, it started actually with Bowie, who was asked by some kind of magazine. I think it was Q magazine. They asked him to yeah, keep yeah, a yeah, they asked him to keep a diary uh, for 10 days or something like that. And it was really it what he said. It was really boring. It was, you know, get up, brush my teeth, eat, make music maybe. But so he decided to create this character. And I think it was the detective uh, Adler. Nathan Adler was the one that he he started with. And that's where the concept grew in, into this. But he was into some very interesting artists throughout. I mean, not just now, but throughout his career. So I think a lot of the inspiration comes from a lot of these quote-unquote outsider artists um i wrote i wrote a few down (laughs) there's this rudolph schwartz Cogler who well allegedly castrated himself on stage i think it was proven to be false (laughs) i don't think he was actually doing that but the um you know that fish photo shoot was homage to him where he had all those fish tied up a
2: promotional shot for this album right it was with the fish in the yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Booklet, yeah, And Herman Nitsch, who did blood rituals with with animal carcasses. There's this other guy, Ron Athy, who would pierce, I don't know if it was his or other models, bodies with like tissue paper and he would hang the tissue through the skin and it would dry, would sop up the blood like flags and kind of just hang there. There's some very interesting wow. inspirations he was drawing from. And of course there's the guy, Joe, the lion. What was that guy's name? I, I didn't write that one down. The guy who shot, who got shot on stage. Yeah. <laughs> for, all for the,
2: yeah.
0: all for the, I mean, that. so I guess all these people, but is it art is the question, right? Is it like, where, what's the line? And I think it's interesting, all this outside art, like does it belong on the outside? Does it belong, or does it belong in the mainstream? Like it's, if it ever did become mainstream, what would the world look like? And I think this is kind of a, a look into what that could could have been maybe mm-hmm. I, I think I digress a little bit here getting into that too much but yeah anyway that that's my take on I, I think it's like the this art belongs on the outside not on the inside like and what follows is maybe a warning that's kind of how I read it anyway
1: yeah that's cool I like that a lot <laughs> I, th- I think that um I mean I'm sure we'll get into it more and more but there there are certain songs on here that like to me are like bowie classics but they're just they're just sort of dressed up in this kind of grotesque ugly way but there are bowie classics in there i think things like um but like the motel feels like that's a bowie classic but not a lot of people yeah. are probably going to get to that point on the album if if the effect if they didn't get on well with a small plot of land or you know like right. movie, they might not even get there but there is there are some gems hiding on there and even you know um you know, there's other songs as it goes on that that feel like classics, but they're just sort of dressed up and the, to, to to sound eerie and to sound a little bit disturbing and um, yeah, just a bit strange. But I think there's there's lots and lots of good songs on here for casual Bowie fans. They're just delivered in a in a in a more interesting way.
0: It's a perfect way to, to get back on track to Eno maybe because a lot of that dressing them up is obviously through his direction and his oblique strategies. and
2: yeah, They're back, yeah. They're <laughs> back. Yeah. I, I
0: think, for, yeah, that's right. You've got the Go box oblique right? strategy <laughs> oh, for, nice, for our YouTube. Nice. <laughs>
2: um
0: Yeah, so he's back. Um, Garson is back. Friend of the pod, Mike Garson, who said he would get a card on his... You know, chair or whatever, when going, I think he told us that, right? He'd get a card on his chair in the morning. He'd read it and it'd be like, pretend that you're a missionary from. And he was just like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to do my thing. (laughs) Like he paid (laughs) it as much mind.
2: I heard one of them was, they were kind of going through these cards that each uh, musician got. And one of them, like, they gave Garson an instruction. And then it also said, like, in brackets, or just be Mike Garson. I think I read. (laughs) Because, you know, he's. (laughs) the whole idea of oblique strategies is to go places that you were, you wouldn't normally go, but that's kind of what Garson just does anyway. Right. He's like the improv guy, a little bit more avant garde, a little bit of classical, a little bit of everything. So he's going to go places that the average musician isn't going to go anyway. Right. So he didn't maybe necessarily yeah. need as much oblique strategy instruction.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So Garson is back. Uh, Carlos Alomar makes a, a return. He's on a few of the tracks. He's not, not on it as much as some of the other players. Uh Reeves Gabrels, Sterling Campbell, Erdell Kazilke. Kiz- Kazilki. I think I've been saying that right. Uh, if not, it's too late. It's we're about four episodes into his <laughs> his tenure. So <laughs> hopefully that's right. Um anybody else on it? Oh, and uh Kevin Armstrong is back too for a few a few tracks
2: and who's uh, the uh, the drummer was from uh the last uh, Sterling Soul Campbell, Asylum, yeah. Who was like he was on black tie,
0: white noise too.
2: Yeah. And there was a pretty cool story where he was like living in the same apartment as Dennis Davis or something. And like, that's how he learned to play drums. Dennis Davis was moving his drums or something like that. You ever hear that story? Oh,
0: no, that's cool. And I didn't yeah. Know that.
2: And he, oh, so what, what do you do? He asked him, Oh, I play for David Bowie. And then, you know, he gave him a few lessons and sure enough, he's now he's playing with David Bowie. So that's just, you know, that's kind of, that was kind of crazy to me. Good, good luck on his part, I suppose. <laughs>
0: yeah that's interesting uh yeah so i i think we should get into the tracks maybe um because it i mean there's so much to to chew on here we i don't know I'm, i am i tried summing it up already and i I only got about maybe a, a tenth of what i wanted to say across it it's it's so it's so tough to to sum this album up without without getting into it so let's let's uh let's put it in the the four disc changer or whatever. We don't have the needle drop anymore and, and get right into Leon takes us outside. Now, I mean, we can kind of talk about this and maybe the, the next one too, right. Or do you, or do you want to just talk about the intro?
2: I think they go hand in hand. They fade into each other and yeah, yeah they, it's not really, but I mean, Leon takes us outside. Isn't really much. I mean, that stems from the, uh, I guess like those 1990s cause there's two separate sessions for this album, right? Like some was done in Montreux, the initial yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then they eventually went, what was it back to New York or something like that to do maybe some of the more conventional tracks. So this kind of stems from the, uh, what they call the Leon sessions, I suppose. Right.
0: Yeah. And that's all that stuff was leaked. Um, I I've listened to it a, a few times. It's kind of background music. It's not, I, I hadn't even thought about doing an episode on it, but I, it would be pretty boring. <laughs> Uh, have you guys listened to the to the sweets the so called sweets?
1: Yeah, I love them. Um, yeah. I've I've been I've been fascinated with this album for as long as I can remember. So, like, I remember went like being at my parents' house and discovering them for the first time, probably about twenty years ago, and just like just blew my mind. Like that there was all this extra stuff and yeah it was even weirder and and there's all these kind of the, the characters return and Bo- Bo is really leaning into some of these ca- like the voices of some of the characters and and, mm-hmm. and going a bit wild and yeah it's, it's it's bonkers I mean it's not like you know chuck it on at your next dinner party kind of thing but it's, uh, <laughs> but it's certainly well, intriguing
2: there is like I suppose an alternate universe where that is the actual album right because he was shopping those tapes around and that could have been actually released I mean I think Reeves Gabrals was saying like that, that could have been awesome. that had that happen. Cause I would have pissed people off more than tin machine. Right. It was like, yeah. all right, here's just kind of like a blank cover was the idea. Just, they'd call it Leon. It'd be like a two or three disc set. And it's just totally unconventional music. It, it is probably for the better though, that they did wind up uh, making it a, a proper album because, uh, like you were saying, Daniel, th- there are some like kind of classic Bowie tracks, and here's some more conventional tracks, and it was a lot more commercial and a lot more digestible. Even though this album is a mess, it is, I think, kind of digestible. So, but it is interesting to think of this alternate universe where this was the album, the Leon Sessions, and it's just <laughs> like, you know, thirty minute, jam- like all the songs are like thirty minutes each or something like that, right? Like that would have really thrown the uh, the public in a in a whirl. <laughs>
1: yeah. Now, there, I think. I are...
0: I think it was so what was released and what you can find wasn't done by them, though. I think somebody else had packaged them up and even cut them up into different suites. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe has been why they've been maybe a bit reluctant to to release anything like the estate. I thought maybe we would get the suites on that box set as yeah, you same. Know, that would have been really cool. But I wonder if it's kind of one of those things where they go, well, you know, it got leaked and. That's it, you know. They don't. Well, they did do toy though, which you know was released or was leaked off of Mark platy's laptop that got stolen or whatever that is, and they salvaged that.
1: It yeah, would be cool to listen to. to
0: it.
1: Hoping the next big anniversary um will mean that they decide to do some sort of special release with it because yeah, two know...
0: years from now, yeah, maybe yeah, 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 they'd yeah. Be thirty, yeah. yeah. Um, hey, oh, yeah, this is your first contemporary album, Johnny. You're born in '95. This is your year.
2: Right,
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah I remember
2: when this came out. Like <laughs> three I months old. July. This came out in September. Oh yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So but, the the intro. The, yeah, it's kind of like the you know opening credits. This this little bit, isn't it? Uh, I yeah. you know this is like the beginning of a of a, of a scary movie where you're yeah. kind of panning through. It's like the the shining. You know, on the way to the Overlook. Yeah, uh, that's the way I kind of see that's when I listen to it, it's a great song. uh, If we're talking about just outside, that is, Um, I I think it's, it's wonderful. There's some awesome things happening. I love the percussion in it. There's bongos, there's shakers, there's all kinds of things um, happening. Uh, But it, it, it it serves even better as an intro to, you know, this album. I, I mean, this album, let's face it, the sum of all its parts are a lot more intriguing than each so, or maybe a bit better. Like it's, it, I think it benefits from being a part of something bigger. This, this song anyway. Yeah. Definitely. It's
2: definitely, I- like it's like a prologue is the way I look at the song outside. Right. Like it's, you know, a lot gets said about uh, strangers when we meet, not fitting in on the album necessarily. And I know, uh, Daniel, you have a dissenting opinion on that also, where it kind of does fit in. I can make a a case for that fitting into the whole narrative of Outside, more than this song, to be honest, just because this song is just like very vague lyrics about, you know, not tomorrow, what's happening now. Almost like what Jesse was saying, it's like a movie intro. This is like the cinematic intro and it doesn't really have anything to do with any of the characters it's just very it's very much one of those setting the stage kind of songs and it's got a great atmosphere maybe the atmosphere fits the album more uh than strangers when we meet but in terms of just like the concept of the song or whatever no it's definitely more like the this is the montage that plays before the movie when when the movie's starting up
1: it's so funny you guys have both said movies because like yeah in my notes for leon takes us outside it reminds me of like that the space between being awake and falling asleep and, and, and the date, you know, have you, seen, have you guys seen a razorhead? Yeah. The lady in the radiator that sings in oh. heaven, everything is fine. It's like yeah. sucking you into this, this secret underground nightmarish world. Yeah. And that big song where, yeah, it's kind of like you say, it's like the, um, uh, yeah, like the prologue, almost the, the the kind of statement of intent of what you're about to, you know, embark on. um. But it's so good. I, I, it's originally a tin Machine song as well, wasn't it? Right. It came from a song called Now. I think the tin Machine Yeah, like. that's um,
2: right.
1: And I'm so glad that it, you know, that it found its home here because I, 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 just think it's, it's such a great way to start the album. And also, it's, it's quite a, quite a nice. It's quite a. It's not one of the more challenging songs on the album. So like, it's a nice, easy way to begin. Um, and yeah, it's just super catchy. It's one of those ones like because I've been familiar with this album for so long before I even really. How do I explain it? So like. One of the things that I love most about this album is that Bowie is working in an area that I don't understand uh, musically. And so like as much as I I love Ziggy Stardust and Hunky Dory, I've had so many evenings in my bedroom playing my acoustic guitar, playing those albums back to front, and I know how those songs work, how he's put the chords together and created those songs. But this album, forget it. Like I have no that's <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what interests me about music now. It's like the stuff that surprises me, like the chords that I don't expect or the kind of stuff that's a little bit, well, yeah, on the outside or yeah, unexpected or or kind of creates an atmosphere. Um, and it's all over this album. So that's that's why I love it because it just fascinates me. He's working in an area that I don't understand and I don't think I'll ever will understand. But this feels like, yeah, um, a great place to start.
0: I love how this, he, I think it's Reeves playing guitar on this one. I, I would imagine that. Imagine that, hey, he brings a song in and they get Alomar to play it. <laughs> but uh, you notice like his guitar tone, it, it, it's very reverb heavy. It's very chorus heavy. I think it's got some modulation on it. it you'd think like, oh, this is, he's, it's 80s sounding, but somehow it just doesn't sound 80s. It sounds fresh and it sounds like even from black tie white noise and uh and uh buddha which were f- fresh sounding in their own right and definitely not 80s sounding by any means for some reason even just you could hear it on this intro song it just sounds like he's found it again and and i love those albums uh for, for different reasons and and i do really really like buddha and and black tie but this is just like, oh man, he's, he's back to like on top again, like those albums he's, he's getting there. And it's almost like, oh, okay. Bowie's got it figured out again. And, and maybe it's, it's, it's the way that, Eno and, and, oh, we should mention David Richards is also back mixing and engineering and I think co-producing too. Uh, this is his last run with, with Bowie. So I, I don't know if it's the production or, or what, but it's, it's funny because there are some components that sound kind of dated eighties, but it, it's just that the atmosphere is fresh and scary and moody and like you were saying, Daniel. It sounds like a. I mean, it, well, it is using a. There is a song using a Lynch film later on, but it, like it does, it gets like an Eraserhead kind of vibe, which is just as horrifying as it gets. It's yeah. funny you mentioned. Let's talk about Eraserhead just for a second. I've watched that movie twice, and both times, without even really thinking about it, my wife was pregnant while we were watching it, and I it's just like, what are the odds? I mean, for anyone that's seen (laughs) Eraserhead, you'll appreciate that. It's just not, it's not movie, uh, the movie to put on when you're expecting (laughs) a child. It's, uh, it's horrifying. So that movie is like, like one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. But for that reason, (laughs) not because of the actual.
1: I think Lynch was about to be a dad when he was making it as well, right? Or when it was. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, of course he was. (laughs) Right. (laughs)
0: Uh, All right. Do you guys have anything else to say about these two? Should we move on?
1: Uh, no, I think that's it for outside for me.
0: Yeah. So so Heart's Filthy Lesson uh, peaked at 35 in the UK. So despite being what it was, it was it peaked at 35. That's not bad. The lead single for this album didn't. I couldn't find any information with Canadian charts. I know we like to sneak those on too, but I, I don't know if it just didn't chart in Canada or if I just can't find it. Usually they put all the countries that it did. So it must have failed to chart here because it, it failed the chart in the US too. I couldn't find any info. On that, I um, see p-
2: peak position on the Billboard Hot 100 years, 92 in the US. So, yeah, may- maybe it just didn't chart. Make here. The, yeah.
0: yeah. So, this was my introduction to this album. I uh, was seeing this video. It was kind of like when, you know, when YouTube started, was a thing. Like, you know, oh, you can find music videos on, on here. And it was like oh what's this one I'd never heard of this Bowie song before and it was like whoa <laughs> what? this isn't the Bowie that I know this isn't you know uh little bombardier which we grew up <laughs> listening to <laughs> or or whatever else um I mean it, yeah the, the the video is still kind of the visual to this album for me uh because of how strong of a presence it I think I think it is within the concept of this album, it's just, it's, it's horrifying. It's absolutely scary. I think it was even banned in, in, in Quebec. I think of course, Quebec banned it. they couldn't handle it.
2: I think it's banned. Is it even on YouTube now? I remember it used to be, but I think it got taken down or maybe it's back up. And I just, I think it's, I
0: think it's back up.
2: I I do remember a point where it wasn't on YouTube um, because this, just like you, this was my introduction to this album. Um, You know, I, you know, growing up, yeah, like you said, we listened to seventies Bowie and you know, the, the early the mid 60s stuff that our dad was really into but we do have a cousin who like our cousin Dylan who was really into 90s bowie and i remember he just had this on at his house like the music video so this was like i had never really heard the album i'd never seen the video or anything and i'm like what the fuck this is crazy <laughs> like this is uh like wow like the video is quite grotesque like like this is kind of like it you can see the art crimes happening and it's this kind of like scary underground world and yeah, it definitely piqued my interest, and it, it did uh, get me to. That's where I actually went and played the album because you know we always talk about how there there were some blind spots at certain points in our lives, but this was definitely the probably the first '90s album that I went to to go and check out off the strength of the the visual for this video.
1: That's so cool, and also like it's it's interesting because like that I I didn't see it because I was I I'd just become a Bowie fan when this album came out, um, so the Christmas the Christmas after we went to Madame Swords and saw the the Bowie display, um, my parents got me my first like CD player. And because Bowie had just brought an album out that year, they were like, oh, we're buying the new David Bowie album as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they brought me outside and my first CD player. I did get Ziggy Stardust as well. But for some reason, after I'd opened all my presents and my parents went back to bed, stuck on outside, put my new headphones on. And I, got, I think I got to about track five, was looking through the booklet, saw the page of like, the body with all the like kind of organs on top of it and, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. and, it, was, and it was um the baby grace segue for some reason <laughs> that was just too much for me and i remember just ripping my headphones off going into my parents room with the cd and i threw it on the bed and i said i never ever ever want to hear that again in tears <laughs> like and my i made my dad hide it in his wardrobe for 10 years because i didn't and i didn't go anywhere near the wardrobe as well so I, I never lived in that it traumatized me that album, and I think that's that's another reason why I love it so much because it's got that kind of extra clout that it had that impact on me. That I'm I'm so fascinated by stuff that freaks me out. Anyway, I always kind of find myself researching what try, trying to work out why it's freaked me out and stuff. But like that, as a, like obviously that's not an album for a five year old anyway, is it? Let's be honest. But <laughs> no, <laughs> but yeah, it was just too much for me, and like it was known as the scary Bowie album in my parents' house for like ten years. And I just never heard it again. I just had that one, you know, got to track five, and then it lived in my dad's wardrobe for ten years. And then I think I, I started feeling a bit braver, and I asked um, my dad to record a cassette with everything but the segways on it. But... So I had ages.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. You say... It's funny you say that. I made a, a a poll on Twitter. Let's see if let's see what the results are. Um, do the segways get in the way of the album? And it was actually interesting. Let's see. Oh, I can't, I can't find it. Of course. Now. Um,
2: I'll just say, I, I love how in the spirit of this album, we're skipping from like track three to track eight and like, we're not doing it in a linear way. Cause this is a, <laughs> it literally says in the title, right? I guess we haven't even said the full title. What is the title of this album?
0: Uh, one uh, outside um, the Nathan non- Adler
2: gothic hyper cycle of the Nathan. That's Edgar. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So I asked, do the segues on outside disrupt the flow of the album for you? If so, would you kick them off? Now, I couldn't have phrased this question any better. So I put three, three, <laughs> here, I'm patting myself on the back. I put three answers. No, yes, but leave them in. And yes, but and punt them. In other words, like I don't like them. Now, 54% said no, they don't get in the way. So half, which is a pretty hot topic then, right? There's just two sides to to this um and then half of the people that don't like or that think it gets in the way says leave them in and the other half say punt them so it's like perfectly split down the middle (laughs) which is very interesting because i do think they kind of get in the way we're we're, here we are we're not even at the first one yet (laughs) but um i I mean sometimes you just want to get on to the next song especially like when you know voyeur of utter destruction is coming up you're kind of like let's get to it already or or whatever but Let's, let's get back to, <laughs> to Hart's <laughs> filthy lesson and yeah, the video, um, it, it's funny cause it kind of predates a lot of stuff that I consider to be of the same cut from the same cloth in terms of like the, the torture porn style of horror movies that, that, be, you know, became super popular with, with things like saw in 2002, I think. So that's seven years ahead of its time. Um, you know, the, the, the scenes that you see in that, the dirty bathtubs and the dirty rooms and dark and, and blood, and it's, everything's grimy. And, you know, the blood is black, like, you know, that we kind of, you know, hammer horror was like, you know, redder than red blood. And then two thousands horror, it was black blood. It looked like molasses kind of, and this kind of, I gets that same kind of vibe, but it's, it predates it quite a bit. I wonder if, if that took inspiration from this video or, or not, um, also, like movies like uh, like Eight Millimeter with Nick Cage, which came out in I think ninety nine, where it's like a snuff culture where they're, they're trying, they're sneaking out, they're 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 seeking out snuff films. Like this seems like it it belongs in that in in this world where you're seeking out this type of art. You know, where are you going to find these things? Who do you have to make connections with to get involved in this underground? You know, whatever you want to call it, murder art movement it's just, that's, that's such a fascinating and fun world <laughs> fun. <laughs> that maybe fun. Isn't the best way to, to put it, but it's like it's, it's, an I, it's, FBI list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, but it's where, I, it's where my, you know, obsession with for the macabre kind of comes in and that's where I want to be mentally. I, I want to be thinking about like these horrible situations that you could find yourself in if if you're a victim of them or if you just stumble across it or whatever, like, it's just what a horrible and, but, but exciting uh world or whatever that he's creating yeah and yeah this this. sorry yeah no it's just
1: so grimy isn't it it just looks so grimy the video and and unclean and um i just think you just wouldn't get that these days everything's just so hd isn't it it's just got this this certain charm to it because it just looks so
0: yeah it looks like it looks like found footage like, yeah. you know like it was it was taken like an eight millimeter camera like the blair witch project or something yeah. which and of course that that exploded the whole found footage uh yeah. craze was right after this album kind of it it exploded that's interesting yeah um
2: and to be for, like fair to this song too like you know we're kind of talking about the music video but this isn't and you know apologies if there's any like Marilyn manson fans out there but this isn't just like shock value and like that's where it stops and ends or starts and ends hmm. like there's still like your your classic david Bowie kind of philosophizing the world happening on this song and like things like mortality like i do like a lot of the lyrical passages on this song where he's saying like you know um if only there was something between us something in our skies something in our blood something in our skies like it's almost like he's kind of looking for some kind of spiritual afterlife and i guess it's also worth pointing out that the he in this is this is nathan adler like this is a. Uh, this is sung from his perspective right so it's one of those songs right. that kind of fits into the story a little bit he's mentioning like uh patty who's been wearing Miranda's cl- like he's, he mentions patty who's like a friend or something of his in this song um so yeah you know it, it's yeah, interesting the Laugh hotel just- gets mentioned as well
0: sorry what was oh, that sorry. i think it kind of cut okay out. so the love
1: hotel gets quite a few mentions as well in um, in leon yeah. you get quite a- oh you can- yeah and that yeah. seems to come up yeah, a few times
2: right right yeah yeah
0: i also love the it switches halfway through too there's kind of like uh, i'm not sure if the, i'm not sure what the chord change is but it, it, all of a sudden there's a real heavy distortion guitar in it and, and like you know the song kind of just takes a turn about halfway through it and i really yeah. really like that kind of breakdown um it's weird it almost feels like there's more space in that part and but you can hear garson more or something like that and of course, the, the the main riff that Reeves is playing throughout is very catchy, too. It, it almost sounds like a like an engine kind of like revving up the, you know, the do 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 It's just like, it's like it's going and it keeps repeating. And uh, I don't know, I really like that. Kind it's of terrible.
2: mechanical. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I
1: love the um the keyboard solo as well. The piano solo is great. Oh, it just, yeah. It yes, sounds yes. like it's chasing you and then you look over your shoulder and it stops and then you carry on walking and chasing <laughs> yeah. you. Again. Just TV yeah, that's vibe. right. Love it. It's a proper, good old-fashioned David Bowie anti-solo. Like a sort of Aladdin-sane kind of vibe, isn't it? Mark- very much so. Yeah, yeah,
0: very much so. That's right. It is kind of like, yeah, the the monster behind you <laughs> that, that nobody can see, or y- including you, <laughs> until you look away.
2: <laughs> like you were saying, it's not one of those songs you can replicate in your bedroom on your acoustic guitar like you could, you know, Beale Way Brothers or something. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot going on.
0: Definitely. it's funny too because Bule brother like you mentioned that like that almost delivers the same kind of punch as th- th- this album does it's it's scary it's kind of haunting you don't know what the hell's going on in that song but if that's done with an acoustic guitar this is done with so much more it's kind of funny the, it's like the less is more versus the more is more and the answer is it, it all can work as long as it's done you know right yeah. it's interesting yeah, yeah. All right, um, that was a big one. I, th- I feel like we're I'm I'm leaving thoughts. Oh, there there will be things that oh, I wanted to say this about it, but I oh, like the
2: general <laughs> one is that the heart's filthy lesson is that you're gonna die one day. That's the lesson, right? Right. It's yeah. Realization the... that you will die. Right. It's like uh, so yeah. It's it's life is
0: it's... Fin- finite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So small pot a small pot a small plot of land uh, is is the next one, and this is the probably the jazziest on the on the album. Um, it's Sterling Campbell and Mike Garson kind of dueling, and not maybe not dueling, but it's it's a really interesting drum pattern, isn't it? Um, and that actually brings up a, a, an interesting thing I read was Brian Eno would sometimes would play random things in individually into the player's uh headset like into their monitor so he would play something like uh like a i I read one of them was a french newscast he played for sterling campbell it's like well what are you going to do with that well it's going to take the the jam somewhere else if he's starting to hear this now he's going to change and start drumming differently and i wonder what so i'm thinking okay what did Eno play him for this one because it it just sounds so different
1: that's so interesting i didn't know that that's so cool
2: Yeah, and I think his his thought process, right, was like, if I just let them jam and they're left to their own devices, they're just going to resort to the blues. It's the easiest thing where everybody can get on the same page. You know, the bass, the drums, the guitar, everybody, piano. It's the easiest thing to fall back to when you're doing, like, those Leon sessions, like these half-hour to an hour-long jams or whatever they were. You're going to, you know, maybe get stagnant or run into a wall or run into more of a boring or more predictable place. So I think when he was introducing techniques like that, it was like, all right. If I put this in his ear, he's gonna—it's gonna take him somewhere else, right? It's gonna take them to new places. So yeah, that's 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 really fascinating, the uh, thing that Eno added to this, which is why it's so important that he's back in the fold.
1: Yeah, definitely. There's a huge Scott Walker feel on this one, isn't there as well? And in, in, in the vocal, like it feels really like uh, sort of Tilt era Scott Walker to me. This one.
2: Yes. Which and I think Tilt did it not come out this same year, shortly after? I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's those Scott Walker albums. I mean, if anyone hasn't heard those and they're listening to this and they think this is macabre, like, I mean, those Scott Walker albums, um, they, uh, they, I don't think anything's even come out since like The Drift is another one, right? Like albums like yeah. that, I don't I don't think have even been, like people are, it's going to take another 50 years for people to catch up to that sound. Like it was just so advanced and so grotesque. Um, I've had nightmares
1: about The Drift. Like the first time I listened to it, I drove home on the motorway, but listening to it really, really loudly. At like, I don't know, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. in the morning went home and just <laughs> had the most disturbing dreams.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, like donkeys yeah. and yeah,
1: all sorts popping into my head.
0: But uh, Min- what Minotaurs. What?
2: <laughs> I definitely had a sativa freak out once when I was listening to the album. Uh, on Because I, I bought it on vinyl a couple of years ago. And yeah, it was just like, it was too much. It was scaring me. I had to shut it off. I was in my home alone in my basement. It was dark and it was like around Halloween. You know, you always want to play the Halloween-y type albums. You know, this is an album that gets thrown into my rotation in october as well but yeah it just it, it took me a little too far out of my comfort zone on one particular night so yeah i, I don't even think i've come back to it so almost like you uh, daniel with this album like maybe i'll work up the courage in a few years but yeah it's just a little i'll just stick ha- to uh, night flights for now
0: yeah that, that's all I've, i have I mean i've listened to some of scott walker's stuff aside from night flights but i haven't done a deep dive yet i'm i'm saving it you know, you gotta kind of save things sometimes. Like, I wish I had saved a Bowie album, you know, or like a Dylan album or something. Yeah. Are, are you a Dylan fan, Daniel? I,
1: I am, not not as much as uh, as I am a Bowie fan. Like, right. there are still some blind spots made with Dylan, but yeah, I like, yeah, I love Bob Dylan.
0: I always <laughs> wonder. I always wonder, just being from England, like how big he is. Like he's, I would imagine, he's a lot bigger here than than overseas.
2: Yeah, But he did have yeah. a huge.
0: Go ahead. No, I
1: was going to say, yeah, you, 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 I think you're right. Um, yeah, there's a small pocket of people that I can talk about Dylan too, but you know, that's a lot. lot of them are, are far older than me as well. That's the thing. I used to when I was at school, loving Bowie. I would just sort of get on better with my with my friends' parents than my friends themselves. Just go and look through their CD collections and talk to them about Pink Floyd or whatever, whatever I saw. That's just right. Always seem to have more in common with my friends' parents.
2: Well, and the, the funny thing with the Dylan in this song, "A Small Plot of Land," is that I, I actually there's a Dylan song called Oxford Town, right? So oh I, yeah, yeah. And this song, um, I guess, really. is, this is sung from the perspective of the residents of Oxford Town, New Jersey, the fictional city that Bowie made up. But it is a Bob Dylan song, even though it sounds nothing like this album. And it has nothing to do with that song or anything. But um, yeah, this is I guess this is the song where it's the the perspective of of the Oxford Town residents. And I will say this this one kind of sent me in a bit of a whirl in terms of like the the plot because they refer to uh nope. they refer to a he in this song right um poor dunce he didn't see i can't remember the lyrics but it's something about he never knew what hit him but you know the yeah, main yeah. the main victim is that is baby grace but she's a female but they're taught so is this like is this song about a separate murder a separate i think so murder, yeah. i guess like which is i guess at first I was kind of thrown off guard by that, but then I think I learned to appreciate, oh yeah, this is like a hyper cycle. This is an album that jumps from 20 years and it goes from last week to next week to 20 years. So, you know, it's, it's all over the place. So I think I kind of liked that. This was a song that isn't following that linear narrative. This is just taking you to the world of outside. It's not trying well, to go from front from A to Z. And
0: I, th- and I think too, with the intro, as, as it suggests or, or outside is it's it's happening now is kind of like it's it, it's getting bigger now like it feels like this this movement's getting like you like you said johnny it started in the 70s i think if you go back in the the diaries which are in the booklet in the with with the the package i i think it, it's be, it's growing and it's building momentum it's happening now like it wasn't like yeah yesterday was one thing but now like it's getting it's gaining popularity and I, I think that's where, and I'll, I'll segue into the song again, no pun intended, but this song itself kind of builds, doesn't it? Like this song starts off with Garson and Sterling Campbell. We're talking about small pot of land in case those of you, it, this is a hard one. This is gonna be a hard episode to follow for our poor listeners, <laughs> poor, poor souls, poor dunces, uh, <laughs> but uh it, it just keeps building and this song just keeps kind of getting better and better doesn't it like there's this droning yeah. sound that comes in uh, maybe about three three and a half minutes in and there's chanting and there's it just gets yeah. e- more and more eerie and eerie
1: that's so funny because i literally in my notes i've just but i just absolutely love how it builds um just to this it's, you know when you when you guys are talking about palace athena on black tie white noise it feels like that it just gets creepier and creepier and more sinister yeah the song kind of becomes possessed doesn't it by the end of it and it just this huge sort of menacing intimidating wall of sound by the end of
2: it and it's that drum that really really hypnotic drum pattern that kind of is if that remains i want to say throughout the whole song i might be wrong yeah. but that that, and... al- that almost serves as like we always refer to like the baseline on subterraneans right like that song's got a you know a lot of other stuff happening but there's that one thing that can kind of like that'll keep the sense of rhythm it'll make the song makes sense. It, it kind of holds it together. Um, and I, I just get into a trance with those drums and then everything else comes at you. And it's, it's really put together really beautifully. Um, mm-hmm. This probably showcases the talent of the musicians more than any other on the album, right? Like this is kind of them just, it, they kind of steal the spotlight. I would say this is one where you definitely think about the players as opposed to what's being said on the song.
0: It could be an instrumental and I wouldn't have really notice it. I, I've Bowie's voice. Is more of an instrument to me than what he's actually saying. I mean, I know he is saying some interesting things, but I don't know. It's yeah. I I listen to the music more on on this one than the, the than reading into the lyrics. And it's funny you mentioned the the drums being hypnotic throughout it. They're not really frightening at the beginning of the song, but once you add everything else in, suddenly they're a bit creepy, aren't they? <laughs> Definitely. All right, so. Next we have the the, the song traumatizing that, tur- yeah. that, that turned you <laughs> off of this for 10 years. The, the yeah. first segue of the of the album is the so baby Grace is the is the victim. Uh she they, I guess they they find a cassette tape of her kind of she's a hostage and she hasn't been killed yet, but she's found footage. Right, found footage, that's right, yeah which yeah, <laughs> it, it, yeah. It, it, it's essentially what it is and Bowie does all the voices of course and he said he even based all the characters off of himself so his his varying personalities um this is probably yeah. this this the freakiest one just because you can picture being you know what what these conditions are that that baby Grace is is in as she's awaiting what she may not know is her you know certain death.
2: She almost seems to be, like, heavily sedated or something. You know, she doesn't really seem to understand what's about to... She does, I think, at the end, she says something is going to be horrid, right? That's where it really gets scary, right? But, yeah, she almost seems oblivious to as to, you know, like, I don't think a 14-year-old can really grasp that, yeah, they're, they're about to rip your whole fucking intestines out and put them on display for art. Like, that's just totally, totally creepy. I can see why this would uh would have scared you, <laughs> Daniel. That's a... Uh, as a kid, I mean, it's just uh, it's like nothing you've ever heard on a Bowie album before. That's for sure. Definitely, yeah. And he's, I for... guess, he's able to. Uh, like Bowie's always been into inventing characters, and now he's just having a field day, right? He's got Microsoft software. He's able to he's yeah. got 90s technology to alter his voice. He kind of does the. He, he's talking like a like a kid. He's almost talking like someone who'd be younger than 14. Yeah. Because when I hear this, I almost think they're like seven. You know, she yeah. messes up a lot of words like oh they let me listen to popular musics and like she kind of talks like yeah. a seven year old knight. but
1: yeah
2: and there's yeah, a definitely... sneeze in there as well isn't there
1: there's a random sneeze
2: that pops up halfway through yeah, it. The please happened. Mr. Gravedigger callback maybe <laughs> right the well, funny?
0: Connector. And may somebody asked Bowie if you'll ever uh, record a follow up to please Mr. Gravedigger and he said I have it's called outside <laughs> <laughs> so that's funny that yeah, yeah um okay so the next so that that goes into uh hello space
2: boy or... it's a great transition too right like it's not oh, yeah. one, it fades in yeah some of these don't fade in but this one does and it goes boom and then space boy comes in and it's like a big it kind of comes and crashes the door and it like what a thunder a... or something doesn't
0: it yeah it does yeah and what a banger of a song like holy shit this is this like i mean this this might this is one of the best bowie songs right I think that's going to be the consensus. Maybe yeah, it's, it's maybe. hard to say that because there's about, you know, 50 that we've said that about in throughout the course of this show. And we're only about two thirds of the way through, but I mean, this is, this is right up there. Uh, Just, you know, the the drums obviously kind of carry it. It's just, it's the it's rebel rebel. It's just boom, boom, boom. It's just going over and over, but it's, it's faster and it's, it's, it's industrial. It's, it's nine inch nails. It's, uh, it's just, man, like what an explosion of, of sound and, and energy. But then it's funny because the the vocal is kind of soft and it's, it, it, it's not like you, you know, you expect like screaming into the mic or something you you almost expect it to be, but I don't know. It's the, the, the mood of his vocal, just the delivery of it. It's just, I don't know. It fits like a glove and it, 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 it almost like it shouldn't, but it does. I, I don't know it's it's hard to kind of put a finger on it totally
1: no i know exactly what you mean um i love the the pan guitars on this as well um, oh
0: yeah
1: dun, 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 dun. i think it's a really cool yeah. touch
0: so cool yeah yeah, yeah, I, was yeah.
2: I was listening to it and i was just like uh i was like pinballing my eyes between the left speaker and the right speaker because i got these big tower speakers in my basement I yeah, i love just chasing the guitars i didn't listen to it on headphones which might have been even better but no, it was definitely a, a fun stereo panning song, that's for sure.
0: Head, headphones, listen to it with, with headphones, and it's like, oh yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, and, it, it, and there's a there's a weird chord change in it too that I really like. It's the uh, it's confusing these days. Part I think it goes like the songs in was in B minor. And then it kind of that bridge goes to A and then it goes to F and it just kind of, it's jarring and you don't expect it. And it just throws you off like what? And then it kind of goes back to normal after that. And I, I love how he keeps you off kilter like that. Um, yeah, but it doesn't lose momentum. It's just, it just keeps going. And oh man, what a, what a song. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, his vocal delivery too. He, I think he said Bowie that is he, he said that uh, it, it was like a Jim Morrison metal song. And now I kind of can't get that out of my head because I'm picturing Jim Morrison singing it and like, you know, (laughs) like picture it now, like space boy, you're sleepy now. Like I could totally hear it and I I don't want it to ruin it for me, but I'm scared that I'm going to be picturing Jim Morrison's voice when I, when I listen.
2: (laughs) It's Jim Morrison covering uh, Bye Bye Love by the Everly Brothers or something like
0: that. (laughs) Bye Bye Love, yeah. (laughs)
2: Cause there's allusions to all sorts of things of the past on this, right? Like Bowie's own career, even like, I know you mentioned rebel rebel earlier, right? I think it was for this song. Jesse, I think the dr- uh,
0: Just the drums are kind of, you know, that constant. So,
2: and even, uh, do you like girls or boys? It's confusing these days. I mean, rebel rebel comes to mind, you know, not sure if you're a boy or a girl, right? Like that's, yeah. it's like, it's almost like this, the song is like lyrically almost like a summary of, Bowie's early 70s career, you know, and like I said, uh, there's even uh, past allusions like the Everly brothers, but this is, of course, the furthest sounding thing from the Everlys. And I almost wonder if he's using some of his old tropes and mixing it in here because he wants to almost flip the narrative. Um, because, you know, Bowie's not really known as an avant garde guy. You know, he was kind of, I mean, to the general public, you know, like when you went and saw him at, at Madame Tussaud's, like it, it, when people are going to see that wax figure, they're going to see the guy who did Labyrinth. They're going to see the guy who was on Live Aid. They're going to see the guy that sang the the duet with Mick Jagger, right? The guy that did yeah. Let's Dance. He's David Bowie, the pop star. But I don't think that's what he wanted to be. You know, I think he kind of wanted to be more like Scott Walker or more like William Burroughs or something more avant-garde. So, at least to me, it's almost like when he composed this song, it's almost as if like he took all of his past musings, like the glam, the androgyny, the Space Boy preoccupations. You know, Major Tom kind of you know gets lumped into this song a bit you know, time, death, all his past musings. And he kind of takes all those things and, and he ties them together. And he presents almost like the same idea, but it's in this way more abrasive and chaotic way, like uh, like almost like the Nine Inch Nails version, right? It's almost like he's saying, I've always been this guy, but here's the way I, I almost kind of wish I would have presented it. Um, at least that's kind of what, one of my biggest takeaways from this song
0: even this this chaos is killing me kind of quick sandy how he's he's sinking in the quicksand of his thoughts maybe all of this stuff is 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 breaking him down you know the, all these characters all of these ideas all of this creativity all of this balancing between the avant-garde and commercial success i think he even said that half of him wants to be that avant-garde you know, outside artist, but then the other half of him wants to please the masses, and he he said, "I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with me, but that's just the way I am." <laughs> the, the chaos is killing him.
1: Is that great interview that um, I always watch, like probably once a once a week, where he talks about <laughs> tips on being creative and like always go a little bit further in the water that you, you know that you, that you feel comfortable, So your feet are you know not quite touching the bottom, and then you're in the position to to make something interesting. I just think that's such a cool bit of advice. Just like if you work, if you're working in an area where you're trying to please people, then it's, it's not necessarily going to be the most interesting area. Like explore outside of, of, of that and go somewhere that where you don't feel comfortable. And, and you know, you more than likely come up with something that will surprise you or, or something that is really good. And I just love, there's a, I can't remember, I might've been like a part of the press kit for outside, but it was around that time. I don't know if you guys, have you seen that interview?
0: Yeah yeah it's
1: brilliant
0: yeah it's uh the one where he it's it start is that, is it the one where it starts off where they ask are you nervous when you do these types of things and he says I think no so, yeah so we talk about the same one yeah yeah i've seen that one
1: yeah it talks about like yeah just not not playing to the gallery and that people generally do their worst work when they when they start doing that so yes i think he was um yeah well and truly back for this album like buddha yeah. felt like a good kind of like um the, yeah the bridge between your, your Let's Dance's and, and Tonight's and, and where it was going to go from there.
2: I think we mentioned something similar too when we did Black Tie, White Noise. Like I was talking about those Scott Walker albums. He had hit a a wall in terms of popularity, right? And that's when he started making his best music. You know, he, we, nobody cared about Scott Walker in the mid seventies. And it was like from the late seventies and onward, that's when he started doing night flights and the electrician, which will probably segue into the next song perfectly. Um, And, you know, things like tilt and drift. I mean, these are albums that are like not really made for people, right? It's like, all right, I'm going to just make this crazy thing. And if people are into it, they're into it. If not, they're, and of course people are, but that's that's when people started getting back into his work. Right. Once he, once Scott Walker lost his audience, like he became better. And I think, that's very similar philosophy to what you're saying with that Bowie interview.
0: Well, hmm. it's interesting too. This is a, a a red hot Chili Peppers tidbit that it's I feel like is kind of lost. So after they disbanded or went on hiatus post Stadium Arcadium, uh, when John Frusciante left for the second time, he came right here to Winnipeg of all places. Like I, it's it's still just blows my mind that this is what he did and he he made music with this guy named Kyle Funk who was like a kind of an electronic um you'd think he'd just be a funk musician but no he's more of like an electronic kind of guy but uh they made music to never be released uh to like they what would we do if we made an album or made you know whatever it was that they made they wouldn't even have to think about make about what it would be because they weren't going to release it and they wanted to see what would come out if you could just remove that from your brain and he, apparently Like, we'll never hear it because that would have defeated the whole purpose, I guess. But yeah, I still just can't get over that. They were like, he was right here. Like John Frusciante is my hero. Like, and he was here in Winnipeg making music. Apparently he just, they sat around for like six weeks and just drank beer and, and made music somewhere in Winnipeg of all places. I don't know how he, he, he hooked up with this guy to, to get this concept together. But yeah, that, that is such a cool Idea to to just never mind. Don't play to the gallery, but don't play to anybody. Just what would happen if you just took all that thought out of your creative process? You'd go places that you just can't go if you're thinking about is someone going to like this?
1: Yeah, that's true. Even yeah. yourself,
0: even even yourself. Like you're 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 trying to please yourself at some like you know you got to make it sound good to yourself. Yeah, like that would I, I don't know how like that's such a to train your brain to to do that must be quite the creative exercise yeah there, that's, my-
1: <laughs> that's really interesting I am um, I love all those kind of like creative exercises. like that's kind of a lot of what I do with songwriting is try and do like POV songwriting trying to re- rewire my brain almost like change the, the normal vocabulary that I would use in a song how, you know what would a serial killer like what vocabulary would he use what would he have to how would he write a love song and stuff like that just and again it's like it, I might get a song out of this if not it might just be you know a jumping off point to something else or you know a bridge to another song but mm-hmm. i i'm all for all those kind of wacky wild creative exercises
2: yeah
0: that's fun definitely okay so so the next song if if space boy isn't the best <laughs> Bowie song maybe, maybe the motel is i know it's one of bowie's favorites
2: yeah th- this was the one that i mean it's uh like certain songs enter like a chamber for me like uh you know, last night I was playing music till the wee hours of the morning. I'm listening to Bob Dylan's "Dream." I'm listening to "The Electrician" by the Walker Brothers. Like these are songs that are like so strong and emotionally potent that they will kind of turn into my my early hours of the morning songs. Right, like when I'm you know up having a couple drinks and it's 2 a.m. and I'm trying to milk the night for all it's worth. You know, and I'm I'm relishing the. Absolute finest songs known to man. I think this song is joining like that ether for me. Like it's oh, yeah, holy shit, this is a, a special song. Um, a Dear Prudence is another. There's actually a kind of a, a running joke in the family right now. I guess like we had a, a birthday party here for one of our cousins, uh, recently, and it, everybody was kind of ready to go home except for uh, me and uh, Kelly's boyfriend, Jesse, uh, Calvin, and everyone's getting ready to go home, but then me and Calvin are talking about, oh, I can say it for another two hours and I pour myself another drink. And I started singing dear prudence and like dear prudence is like that, you know, when it's like, that's when it's time to pack it in. Like he's busting out dear prudence. Like it's all right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Apparently uh, my girlfriend Haley and, uh, and Calvin's uh, girlfriend, uh, our cousin, apparently they gave each other like this look, like we got to like break this up, like before it gets out <laughs> yeah. of hand and, and everybody went home. But yeah, you know, this, this is one of the, it's, it's going to be one of those songs for me. Like I can just tell, I, no, I, I'd heard this song before, but I guess I'd never really like played it five, six, seven, eight times in a row or whatever it's been. And like, holy shit, this is a uh, this is like a top ten contender. Like, this is I think one of Bowie's finest pieces of work. Uh, it's it's amazing.
1: How, yeah, I'm
0: a, how, I'm a, I'm a, how sorry, Karen. How awesome is it when when the beat kicks in after the beat, you know when when the 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 bass drum I think it is and the it's like percussion. It's like I think it's just a shaker of some sort it's just like, it's almost danceable somehow, like in a slow tempo way. But, oh man, like when that when that part kicks in, like it would be fine without it. And then it just takes it to mm-hmm. this next level. And then, you know, the, the song changes key. Um, I, I wrote it down. It, it goes, so it's in F sharp and it just kind of goes back down a half step, up a half step, down. It's just kind of floats there from F sharp to F. And then it, it goes into, I think, A flat, and then it, and then it goes back again and then it goes back to F and then, and then finally the big key change for the release, it, like it teases it. I've talked about that a few times on, uh, on the show, how I love when, when a chord change or like a part or a key change even is, is, is teased. And then eventually you get the, the full, you know, throttle or, or the, the full impact of it. And I, yeah, it's just oh man, like what a release at the end of this song with, the, with mm-hmm. the guitar that comes in. I think it's panned. I think it's only in the left speaker or is it the right? It's in, I think it's just in the left speaker. And it's, 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 you know, it's funny because that the guitar part is so powerful, but it's, it's kind of low in the mix and it, you really got to listen for it. And I love when you have that impact where you want it to, it's like the more is, the less is more type thing. It's not so in your face, but it's still just as impactful as if it was like taking over with volume
2: definitely i'm getting it, it definitely getting animated <laughs> that explosion you're talking about is definitely like that's where the this is probably his closest he ever got to do like him and eno i think had been obsessed with uh the this the album night place by the walker brothers right and there's that song on that album i think i just mentioned it the electrician like this is a this is very closely resembles the electrician where it's like it, it, it's, it's weird how like most of those songs I mentioned that are like my late night type songs. They're not really eerie. They're usually like beautiful or nostalgic, but this is one of those songs that exists in that in between it's like beautiful and powerful, but then it's also got that creepy thing going on too. And I think it's, it's got that those definite Scott Walker vocalizations happening. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I'd say like the, the, the biggest Scott Walker influence song on the record. Yeah. And I think this is, this is one In particular, we're having Mike Garson is key because when you're doing those kind of traditional type songs with, well, I I shouldn't say traditional, but it's, it's traditional in the sense that he's doing the crooning and, you you know, you need some like classical, a classically trained pianist for that. But then Mike Garson's also, you don't want to just put him in this bucket where he's a classically trained pianist. Like he's also got those avant-garde twists that he'll add right and that's perfect for this type of a song where you're going a bit traditional but then also going a little bit avant-garde and I think like Garson's playing on this in particular is like you couldn't have had Roy Bitten play piano on this song like this definitely needed to be Mike Garson and I think it's probably his best moment on the album probably as well
1: yeah I'd agree completely and I re- I like it it takes its time as well like everything on this album there's no there's no rush I mean there, there, yeah back like outside there's like a, a it's a minute long instrumental i think before you get a vocal on that song and i think it's probably i mean there's a look is there a minute or so before this song it takes a while for the vocals coming yeah. The so yeah there's yeah there's just no rush it's just yeah take your time you've got so you've got a 70 minute cd to fill here there's no rush <laughs>
2: yeah
0: and the, the garson's playing it's it's very reminiscent of lady grinning soul i think too yeah, like yeah. those these they live in the same place sonically um And then, yeah, it's, it's, it's that it's eerie. It's just like, like you just like, yeah, you can't really, it's garcinic. I don't know what you'd call, what else you'd call it. It's just, you, you hear it no other way. We, we mentioned this when we, when he pops up on, is it uh, looking for Lester? It's, It's, it's funny how he's able to, without it's quintessential Mike Garson without having a particular sound, but you just know it's him, even though it's totally different. You know, I, I don't, yeah, usually like if you hear, uh, like Stevie Ray Vaughn, for example, it's like, okay, there's Stevie Ray, he's doing his thing. But with Garson, it's like, oh, that must be Garson because I don't recognize it or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they do a really cool pitch shift thing with his vocal on that as well, don't they? And the, um, there is no how, there's like a delay where it's shifted down in pitch. I don't know if you guys have heard that. I think you have to have the headphones on, but it's I like think now a, that
0: you, now that you mentioned I think, I think maybe. Yeah, there is something weird happening. Is that what it is?
1: It's yeah, there's some sort of echo of the word hell, and it sounds like it's just going deeper and deeper in pitch. And again, it's that kind of battle between beauty and
2: weirdness, yeah. which is just all over this album. Yeah. Um, when this album oh, got like rave reviews, right? Um And there was one in particular, I think it was from like Time Out magazine or something, They said that this album, it didn't so much tell a story, rather it created, they used the term word moods. This album, it created word moods because you hear lines like on this song, like there is no hell, there is no shame, there is no hell like an old hell. You're not necessarily trying to decipher like, well, what does that mean? You're not trying to decipher that specific passage. You're more so going to be inclined to just philosophize your own spirit or your own purpose, your mortality and things of that nature. Like I said, this is one of those like 3 a.m. songs, right? It's like in terms of just like what it's trying to convey to you musically and what it's trying to convey to you uh, lyrically. It's not one you put on at the party at 7 p.m. You know, this is when you're sitting in your basement at 3 a.m. or whatever it was, 1 a.m. like I was last night. And I think that was the 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 best summary I've heard of it. It's definitely a yeah, word moods, kind of a very... Basic description, but I mean that's that's what it is, right? It's a word mood kind of a song.
1: Yeah, yeah, because he he used the the cut ups, didn't he, with the the Verbi-Sizer software that mm-hmm. he built for him, which is essentially the same thing as the William Burroughs trick of just cutting stuff up and just trying to come up with something that makes you feel something, or, or you know, yes, so it gives you a reaction or, or a I don't know, an image in your head, something something completely different, words that shouldn't sit comfortably next to each other. Living together to
2: create something. Mm-hmm. Useful.
0: Yeah, it's that everybody had that. Yeah, the verbisizer was it. it yeah, I don't, I don't know too much about it. I get the general concept of it, but was it like I, how exactly did that work? Do you know a bit about that, Daniel? Uh, well, there's a version of
1: it online that I've been using sometimes, um, and you can preload. It's it's got like loads of newspaper articles and stuff you could preload it into it, and so it will just chuck words in columns. And, and you can add your own words. You, um, I think the version that's uploaded online at the moment, you can even put Bowie lyrics into it as well. So you could have like one column with Bowie lyrics, one column with, uh, you know, a bunch of newspaper articles, one column with words you put input, inputted yourself and then press the sort of jumble up button and you'll just get this kind of that's word cool. soup. and you can kind of see what speaks to you. And I, I do it quite a lot, even just for like, you know, titles or jumping off points or... Just to see, well, like, the, the Bowie way, just to see if it kind of sparks anything in me.
0: Throw throw a bunch of shit at the wall, see what sticks type thing. Yeah.
2: And you get That's a lot cool. more, because, like, in the 70s, he was doing it with literal newspapers, right? <laughs> now yeah. he's got the internet to just, you get so much more, you can pull from so much more. Like, this is definitely, like, Bowie's having fun. He's getting to create characters, he's getting to alter his voice now, he's getting to use computers to to, you know, enhance the cut-up, like... Yeah, this yeah. is definitely Bowie taking advantage of uh, the technology that wasn't at his disposal in the uh, in the '70s. Yeah,
0: this is a this is a top one. This, uh, I, hey, tumble and twirl award nominee. Maybe I feel like this is kind of a buried track.
2: I didn't. Yeah. I haven't
0: given that much thought. We'll have to do we'll have to do a bit of that before yeah. side B. Um, I, I made one last minute note while listening to this one final time today. It just. Gabrels's guitar at the end I, I wrote is like uh he does a lot of pick scratching kind of like it's very like yeah and it, it's it's uh it's it's funky sloppy but i i wrote it's like a, a painter kind of just throwing paint as or or in this case probably like a knife with blood like it just kind of like you know <laughs> trying to draw something it's very splattery and very uh i don't know it's just yeah i i Man, what a what a heavy like what a heavy guitar solo without it being it's just totally different from like what Ronson would be doing, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: or or what R- uh, Ronson Blue would be doing, be doing
2: like proper power chords, whereas this is a little bit more subdued. And it isn't the part of the song where it does take off, right? He's going me exploding you, and it goes like it gets really really loud, yeah. but it, you don't want to go too far. It would it would kind of kill the mood a little bit, right? So he kind of. Those little scratches you're talking about, I think they're perfect because they're, like I said, they're a little bit more reserved. They kind of keep the song a little bit more prestigious somehow by by making that choice. It keeps it a little bit more. It doesn't get ridiculous, maybe.
0: Well, he almost only hits it like on the, like in line with the bass almost. Like when he actually hits a guitar note, he's kind of like scratching and then it kind of turns into like a dun, dun. Like he only hits two notes, I think. I'd have to listen to it over again um, Mm -hmm. to, to really get that right. But yeah, anyway. Really cool part, uh? Is that no? We have one more. I guess we'll we'll cut it after this because this is the, the the end of the side two, so this will be the end of part one, if that makes sense. Which is, I have not been to Oxford Town. Yeah, we've talked about freewheeling a lot. You mentioned Bob Dylan's dream. We talked about Oxford Town, and I I used to say, now I I used to kind of have an issue with this song, with it just basically being. You know, Johnny, you said if if he would have come out on Ziggy saying uh, uh, on five years saying, you know, oh, there's five years left to go. There's worlds kind of doing that yeah. natural <laughs> resources, like kind of really giving you the the uh, baby
2: Grace the, is the victim. She was. 40 was 40. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I used to kind of think like, oh, that's what he's doing wrong on this song, as opposed to with you know there's there's so much more you you don't know what's happening another one but no i I, i'm over that now and this is what i really really like this song
2: but but anyway
0: what i what i was going to say is i used to just want to say it's not even my favorite song called oxford town (laughs) because (laughs) because how often you get to say that but i mean that's not true i i I wish it was true maybe but it's not
2: (laughs) when you do get some more like abstract lyrics maybe in the course where it's uh toll the bell pay the private eye all is well, 20th century dies. I yeah think, I think where that uh, makes sense is I know like uh, the reason we got uh, Daniel on for this episode is he mentioned that he uh, really likes strangers when we meet at the end of the album. And how it's kind of a, a positive footnote. It's like, all right, you know, you're in this crazy world. But then, you know, and I think this song goes hand in hand with that. Like when he says, all is well, 20th century dies. I think this Bowie was a little bit more optimistic than maybe this album might seem like he's giving the world credit for. Like he wasn't actually saying the world's going to end. Mm-hmm. I think he's actually just saying, this is this crazy little universe I'm creating. And yeah, the end of the millennium's coming up. But it's like, all is well, the 20th century's going to die. You know, like I kind of look at it in that way. And I think that's why maybe Strangers When We Meet at the End still fits this album you know it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb
1: yeah for sure and i i think it um i don't know what you guys think this one really r- reminds me a little bit of kind of like a a faster miracle good night um, yeah. yeah that kind of dangly ding 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 guitar and it yeah. um the spoken word section where he, he sort of does his deep voice spoken word this is my bunk with two sheets with this is what this is my bunk with two sheets this is my food though foul and it yeah and it just has a the kind of miracle good night infectious chorus I just, it always right, kind of right. I can right. see a connection
2: between those two because he does very that fun- a miracle good night yeah a yeah, yeah, very funky word part yeah
0: yeah yeah and, and a very funky uh Groove too um mm-hmm. this is an Alamar one uh he fits it perfectly uh, the guitar playing is so good on it um it also reminded me I was just kind of fiddling around with it uh, this probably won't come up come through but it it's very much like drugs from talking heads the i don't know if you could hear that or not i know i've tried playing it for johnny once but it didn't work but like it's the same kind of baseline isn't it
1: yeah yeah it's a great show i never i never made that connection either but yeah i can totally see what you mean
2: it's also the, you see a lot of talking heads come up in the books. Like they mentioned kind of the preachy style of lyrics, like the, the ones that you were kind of saying kind of annoyed you a little bit initially kind of oh, that's David to, Byrne, baby Jane is the victim. <laughs> what, it, it, that's similar to, and you may find yourself living in a shotgun, sh- you know, kind of similar, like yeah. uh, evangelical preacher kind of delivery. Preacher, yeah, but then yeah. also the melody has found a job from talking heads. And they're not sure about that. That's like the, uh, oh, if yeah. I'd only paid my bill, like that's the same. It's it's very David Byrne. Yeah, this is definitely Ozil. And the funk guitar. I mean, yeah, Talking Heads are all about, you know, those funk rhythms and that. So yeah. Have yeah, you definitely.
1: guys seen the, re- the re-release of Stop Making Sense in the cinema? I haven't
0: seen the re-release. No. No,
2: it is here <laughs> in the cinemas too. Uh, I think we had planned to, Jesse, and it fell we, through. It was like- We were going to.
0: Yeah. It's so special yeah man just,
1: yeah it just, the... just came out beaming like it's just like euphoric experience going to see it in the cinema and with a, with a you know a packed cinema as well everyone experiencing it together and sounded Singing, great
2: yeah um, they have probably used some kind of audio technology to enhance the audio probably because i know that's the big craze right now everybody's uh using like there's ways to create more separation between tracks and stuff now right so i'm sure the audio is even better than it was on the original vhs right
1: yeah i feel like it was yeah it was so Mm -hmm. cool yeah you have to go yeah go check it out if it's
2: screening again near
1: you
0: i got my brother-in-law into talking heads through that he's like he just recommend me a concert dvd and i just picked that one um just that day for whatever reason I was feeling that. And he's like the biggest talking heads fan ever through that. So I, I was going to go with him too. And I it fell through, I, I was going to go with you. I was going to go with him and it felt, yeah. Oh, I hope I don't miss it. It's back now. It, it was out of cinemas and now it's back. So. Oh, cool. We, yeah. We got to check it out. Um Another thing too, the, when it goes to back to Oxford town, when it goes to the all's well part, I thought, man, what's that chord change? Because it sounds so weird. But it's just going from G major to A minor. It's not much of a, but it seems so I don't know if it's something to do with the the vocal that makes it sound weird, but it sounds so different. But it's such a simple chord change. And I just realized too, because I, I wrote down what the chord change was in in the motel, it's the same thing. You're it's it's from a I think a major chord up. A, a one step to a minor chord and I thought that's interesting that back-to-back tracks he's got a similar yeah chord change mm-hmm.
1: yeah, but doesn't it
0: cool. sound doesn't it sound weird or different when he does the ohs well maybe it's the maybe it's the the key that he's singing in is is off or kind of different I don't know it just sounds like it, it's not just like a simple climb like that I don't know I thought it was gonna yeah. be a weird thing left turn it does
1: sound like there's something interesting going on there yeah I totally know what
2: you mean
0: yeah
2: Well, you know, what's interesting too. I'm not sure if either of you read about this, but this was like one of those classic, uh, the album's done, but they're working out a song idea. And like, this was like very last minute. Like, I think the, the guys, like the, the musicians were just riffing on this or whatever it would, maybe it was Alomar probably. I think Alamar's doing that, that rhythm on this. And then Bowie just kind of whipped up the lyrics on the spot. So maybe that's why they do start out a little bit like listing the facts, right? Like, yeah. I think, you know, Bowie was just trying to make, all right, let's, let's, let's turn this into a song that makes sense for outside and it's sung from the perspective of Leon, right? This is like Leon's, uh, 25 minutes to go by Johnny Cash. You know, like the gallows humor <laughs> the con- yeah. The con- yeah, the condemned man. Right. But I do think that was interesting where this is what a, a lot of the times, like the, the lead single or the catchiest song on the album will be just like this thing that was like whipped up at the end of the sessions. And apparently that was yeah. this for this song. It was very last minute and whipped up very quickly which is incredible considering it's, I don't know about you guys, but I think this is another one of the better songs on the album. Yeah. Like if no, I wasn't, I, I mean, so. obviously I think I'm going to pick the motel, but if I, you know, that song didn't exist, which would be really unfortunate, but if it didn't, this might, this could very easily be my pick.
1: Yeah. It's a very strong, it's a strong three track run, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it is. Out, Oxford a- town. Yeah.
0: And an actual three track run too. There's no segues in between. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Hmm. All right, so I guess that does it for uh, part Disc one. Part one. Disc one, yeah, of, of of one outside. We never did get two, three, four, and five parts like he had. That's another thing, too, we didn't really mention is he planned to do an album with Eno every year, closing out the decade, and he, you know, in true Bowie fashion, he got bored <laughs> after one and <laughs> just scrapped the idea altogether. Yeah. But he was talking to Eno later, later, like as in like 2014, 15, maybe even, well, not 2016, I take it. But towards the end of his life, he said he wanted to revisit this. It's too bad he didn't get that. Like, oh man, of all the things he was going to do next, I mean, we've missed out on two outside.
2: (laughs) He was robbed, you know, like he could have had another decade of life. I think he would have accomplished a lot artistically in that. I mean, he did... He wasn't like young young but when, when did he die was he 69 or something like that just yeah just turned, yeah it was just just a fresh 69 i mean that that's really unfortunate because yeah i mean from a selfish perspective i mean obviously the guy you know could would have enjoyed his life but i mean yeah he would have uh i think he would have if he would have revisited this with you know I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't have made like album two but they probably would have done something similar right yeah i that's think there's bad. um
1: there's a couple of B-sides from the Hours era that feel very outside, like feel like what they what, what he might have done on the follow-up to Outsides. One called um, No One Calls. I don't know if you know that one. That's a really, I don't think I
0: know that one. I, no I've, one I've calls. probably, it's one of those ones I probably listen to and then I'll revisit it when we get there.
1: Yeah, well, Ours is a funny one because I think all the B-sides for Hours are stronger than anything that made it onto the actual album. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no One Calls, we shall go to town and we all go through three songs they all feel like they, they'd be at home on on a you know number two inside or contamination or whatever yeah. it was going to be like there's a is some sort of DNA there that's, that's similar I definitely recommend checking them out
0: yeah I feel like I, I I feel like it's one of those things I've 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 probably heard them and then dismissed them as <laughs> oh hours sides. I'm not gonna like these <laughs> listen to it like oh yeah okay you weren't
2: good enough to make hours yeah well,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am looking yeah well, it's funny too because i mean i don't want to pick on hours here but it's right after bowie says i promise i won't bore you with whatever i do next yeah. Yeah. i mean hours wasn't it <laughs> wasn't quite as edgy as you know what was maybe everyone was expecting after that <laughs> I used all to right i'm um, oh, sorry no no if you have more keep going
1: i was gonna say one, one last story when i was growing up the version of tonight i had on cd um it had the album of tonight and then the three bonus tracks were like uh, "Absolute Beginners," "As the World Falls Down," and "This Is Not America." And oh, I was wow. just like, "This is where the album starts." Like, yeah, yeah. forget <laughs> the first nine songs. This is what I'm here for. And it's just, it's just yeah. so funny when your bonus <laughs> tracks are, are better than the actual album. Mm-hmm.
0: That's strong. I mean, th- those would those would you know put a few albums to shame. Not just tonight, yeah. maybe. Uh, those, those yeah. strong, strong three bonus tracks okay so that does it that's that's outside part one we'll be back next week or whatever (laughs) as soon as you hit skip to uh with outside part two so thanks for joining us thanks for listening uh daniel thanks so much for being on this episode
1: my pleasure thank you for having me
0: thanks for listening